0: Welcome to On Trial, starring Mark Rattledge. Also, starring Sean Comer. Hope you're ready, Hollywood, because you're on trial. All right, you are listening to a Rad Allegen Broadcasting Premiere podcast. This is on trial, and tonight I'm playing the role of the defense in our uh, discussion, our plea bargain edition of David Lynch's 1984 Dune, an adaptation of Frank Herbert's work of the same name. And we're doing this because Dennis Villeneuve's Dune is day and date this week now on thursday and i'm sure by the time this is done broadcasting it'll be wednesday and then by tomorrow it will be tuesday um anyway (laughs) comes out this week day and date on hbo max and in theaters and so here to prosecute david
1: lynch's nutty dune
0: is everyone's favorite guest on the podcast david wright so loki how you doing sir
1: Yes, I have been immortalized on the soundboard. I I feel quite honored. This is this That's I like. Right. I, I I I have a legacy now. It's great. That's right. Here we go. But so yeah. Loki. Nice. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. So I so I am not Sean Comer. He is Sean Comer. I'm not.
0: <laughs> you did yes, there. I will
1: be. Yeah, I will be. I will be prosecuting today.
0: All right. So let's jump into this. Um, you had contacted me when I threw this up on the schedule, and I threw it up as soon as I knew they were doing a new Dune movie. Um. Uh, sorry. As soon as I found out we were, they were doing a new June movie, I was like, "Okay, we got to look at the old 1984 one." I have not seen this thing since I was a kid. I barely remembered any of it. I knew Patrick Stewart was in it, and there were worms, and that was about all I could remember. In 1984, I'm eight, so <laughs> this movie—I'm
1: actually quite impressed. You remembered that. Most people just remember Sting a thong.
0: <laughs> well, now that you mention it, um, but. My point is, like, I this is not one of those things that stuck with me, and it had, like, no rewatchability for me as a kid. So I saw my dad had it on VHS, and he taped off of, I think, like, HBO or something. And I may have watched it once, just wanting to know what it was, and then I never picked it up again. But you were, like, very excited about this. I'm like, I'm on all the things Dune-related. I'm like, well, there's two, so calm your tits. But <laughs> you're here. Um, when did you first see this? How old were you? And what did you think
1: of it the first time you saw it? Oh boy, I I can't remember what age, but I, I might have been in the single digits, mm-hmm. maybe maybe close to double digits at the time. But uh, yeah, I, I was I was a kid, let's say, not mm-hmm. a teenager. And I think it was just it was on TV, and my dad was watching it, and 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 yeah, I just sat there and watched it with him, and I was intrigued. I it helped out a lot that my dad was familiar with the book, so he was able mm-hmm. to kind of explain. You know, to me, everything that was going on. You know, this is the Benny Jesuit. This is what they do. This is the Spacing Guild, and this is how they work. And you know, to kind of, you know, fill in a lot of the details, which we'll get into later. when, when we Having get an the audio track,
0: your own personal audio track. There.
1: Yeah, yeah, that wasn't whispering, but we'll we'll get to that. And 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 yeah, like I got to the end of the movie, I'm like well, that was kind of interesting. And like a few years later, like we were at my grandparents' place. We go there for vaca, went there for vacation a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah, uh, you know, we were in Alberta and they were in BC, which is a much better place to go for vacation. Uh, so, so I was looking for a book to read there because you know we didn't have my computer, so no video games. And so I brought Dune from my dad's old book collection, and I read that, and it was great. Like I loved the book so much. I, I probably rated it as like the second best book I've ever read. Wow! First being Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I am yeah. a nerd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't panic. Uh,
0: so long and thanks yeah. for all the fish
1: yes yeah yeah mostly harmless <laughs> that's right yeah life the universe and everything uh, restaurant at the end of the universe okay i think we've gone through all the book titles now <laughs> okay and another thing oh but yeah so so i read the book and just after that i was like oh well, i have to watch the movie again now after watching the book so once we got home i think we had it taped off of something somewhere so i i watched it again and uh yeah. like So it's, it's a story that I really enjoy. Like I, I really like the whole hero was wronged at the start and they think they've killed them. And then, you know, but in secret they survived and you're just waiting for the moment at the end where the masks comes off and you know, it was me all along. <laughs> you know, I'm the author of all your pain.
0: I'm playing the sound clip.
1: I, um, I, I did that for you, Mark.
0: but uh, I appreciate that. But,
1: but yeah, I count of Monte Cristo sort of style sort of thing. So yeah. And so like I was into that and, uh, you yeah, know, we, we've never really gotten a solid Dune adaptation. Yeah, uh, We'll get into just, David Lynch in a bit. Yeah,
0: uh, well, I, I kind of just want to ask a very general question. We don't have to get into specifics right now. But having read the book, what would you say the major difference between David Lynch, Lynch's interpretation of Frank Herbert and the actual authentic source material is?
1: Yeah, well, that's sort of the first half of my prosecution. So if you like, we can just <laughs> hop right in.
0: Hold that thought. All right. So, okay. Uh, okay. Sure. Okay so um so this movie comes out uh like i said in uh, 1984 december as a matter of fact um it had a premiere at the eisenhower theater on december 3rd and then it wow, was wide. like two months
1: yeah
0: um and uh it had its wide de- wide debut in the united states december 14th. uh if i i know there are t- sometimes i just read the plot because it's easy, a little easier that way and i don't miss details so <laughs> This one, if I didn't read the plot, I would not have any clue what was happening in this movie. All we'll right. get to that. In the far future, the known universe is ruled by the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV. The most valuable substance in the empire is the spice, a drug that extends life and expands consciousness. Funny thing about that is that's also what synthetic marijuana is called, and it messes <laughs> you up. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I, I laugh every time. They were like, the spice must flow and take you directly to jail. Um, <laughs> the spice also allows a spacing guild to fold space, permitting safe, instantaneous insta- insta- spoiler travel. alert. <laughs> the guild feels a conspiracy fears, a conspiracy that could jeopardize spice production and sends an emissary to demand an explanation from the emperor who reveals his scheme to destroy house Atreides. The emperor fears Duke Leto Atreides growing popularity and a secret army. He is reportedly amassing, threatening his role. He plans to seed control planet Arrakis, the universe's only source of spice, to house Atreides. Once they are installed there, the Atreides will be ambushed by their arch enemies, the Harkonnens, with help from em- the Emperor's elite Sardaukar so, troops.
1: Yeah, Sardukar. You're pretty Sadhukar. close. Okay, I, I, I tried. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, right, everyone uh, gets, that's good. Everyone got all that because there's going to be a quiz later. Um, We need to get that Rick Moranis thing from Spaceballs on the soundboard. (laughs) Everyone got that? Yeah, okay,
0: I'll add that one. The guild navigator... I'm (laughs) slowly but surely rebuilding my soundboard. Uh, Mm -hmm. The guild navigator commands the emperor to kill Duke Leto's son, Paul Atreides, because the guild fears he may somehow threaten spice production. The execution order draws the attention of Bene Gesserit Sisterhood, since Paul was tied to their centuries-long breeding program to produce Quazatz Haderach. Yeah, the Quazatz Haderach. That's how to You're doing pretty good, nine out of ten. <laughs> the universe is super being, thanks, teacher. Before Paul <laughs> leaves for Arrakis, he is tested by Bene Gesserit's Reverend Mother Mo- Mohim.
1: Yeah, Mohim, I think it's, that's how I always pronounced it in my mind, at least. Okay. Yeah,
0: by being forced to endure excruciating pain. The uh, to Mohim's surprise and eventual satisfaction, he passes the test, like Flash Gordon. I tell you, on the industrial world of Gedi Prime, the sadistic Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Tells his nephew, Glossu, the beast, Rabin, and Fade, Ratha, Rathao about his plan. Ratha, to... yeah. Okay. Munmuthma, <laughs> Mumra, whatever. Uh, his plan to eliminate. House that would have been a very
1: different movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: um, I think that that's Sting, isn't it? That's his character.
1: Yeah, Sting plays Fade, Ratha. Yeah. Good.
0: I'm calling him Sting from now on. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, Tells the beast and sting about his plan to eliminate House Atreides by manipulating someone in Duke's orbit to betray him. The Atreides leave their homeworld of Caladan for Arrakis, a barren desert planet populated by gigantic sandworms. The native people of Arrakis, the Freeman prophesies that a messiah, because it's always a messiah, will lead them to freedom. Duncan, Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> sure. One of Leto's loyalists tells him that he suspects Dune holds vast numbers of freemen could prove to be powerful allies, as Freeman off, often are. Before Leto can form an alliance with the Freemen, the Harkonnens launch their attack. The Harkonnens' traitor within House Atreides, Leto's personal physician, Dr. Wellington Yu, disables critical shields, leaving the Atreides nearly defenseless. Idaho is killed. Uh-huh. Leto is captured, and nearly all of House Atreides is wiped out by the Harkonnens. Baron Harkonnens has Mentot Peter DeVries killed Dr. Yu with mm-hmm. a poison blade. Leto dies in a failed attempt to assassinate Baron Harkonnen using a poison gas to, use, oh, I remember this, implanted by Dr. Yu mm-hmm. in exchange for exparing the lives of Lady Jessica, Leto's concubine, and Paul. Paul, that's a cat's name. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Paul and Jessica survive the attack and escape into the deep desert, where they are given sanctuary by Siege, a Fre- uh, freeman. Paul assumes the freeman name.
1: <laughs> Maudib.
0: Thank you. Frank assumes the Freeman name Mob Deep and emerges as the leader for whom the Freemen have been waiting. He teases them to build and use weirding modules, sonic weapons developed by House Atreides, and target spice money. Over the next two years, spice production five years later, five, spice production is nearly halted. The Spacing Guild informs the Emperor of the deteriorating situation on Arrakis and demands he rectify it. Paul falls in love with Shawnee, a young Freeman warrior. Jessica becomes the Freeman's reverend mother by ingesting the water of life, because this movie didn't have enough shit in it, a deadly (laughs) poison which she renders harmless by using her Bene Gesserit abilities. As an after effect of this ritual, Jessica's unborn child, Aaliyah, later emerges from the womb with full powers of an adult, and she joins the X-Men. In a prophetic dream, Paul learns of the plot by the Emperor and the Guild to kill him, he also sees that they fear he will consume the water of life. When Paul's dreams suddenly stop, he drinks the water of life and has a profound psychedelic trip like you do in the desert, like Homer Simpson. He gains powerful psychic powers and the ability to control the sandworms, which he realizes are the spice's source. The Emperor amasses a huge invasion fleet above, above Arrakis to wipe out the Freeman and regain control of the planet. He has Raban beheaded and summons Baron Harkonnen to explain why spice mining has stopped. Paul launches a final attack against the Harkonnens and the Emperor Salamander at Arakeen, the capital city, (laughs) riding atop sandworms and brandishing sonic weapons. Paul's Freeman warriors easily defeat the Emperor's legions. Paul's sister Aaliyah mortally wounds Baron Harkonnen, who is sucked through a a breached palace wall and into the mouth of the sandworm. Paul confronts the defeated Emperor and fights Fade Ratha in a duel to the death. After killing Fade, Paul demonstrates his newfound powers and fulfills the femen prophecy by causing rain to fall on Arrakis. Aaliyah declares him to be the uh, Kwisatz Haderach. Kwisatz Haderach. Alrighty. Five hours later, (laughs) we're finally done. All right, sir, kick us off here. What do you have to say about this movie?
1: Well, as you probably noticed from that summary, it's kind of weird and convoluted. (laughs) Yeah, like that, that, that's a lot to get through. So, okay, so, so so to begin with, like there are two principal ways that I would judge an adaptation. Mm-hmm. One, as an adaptation, like how well does it embody the source material? You know, the whole reason for it being made in the first place. And second, just how is it as a movie? Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if you have no idea what Dune is, you never read a page of the book, you're just going in there, how is it just as a movie? So starting off as an adaptation... Like overall, like it is the story of Dune, like it, it hits the major beats of the book mm-hmm. decently. Uh, there are certainly are details that have been changed, for example, for like the weirding modules, the sonic weapons, mm-hmm. those are not in the book at all. Okay. Yeah, I like, like the weirding way that they say it's a system of martial arts developed by the Bene Gesserit. Like the idea of the Bene Gesserit is they uh, have such awareness of their bodies that they're able to manipulate them to like the cellular, almost atomic level. Okay. Like that's how Jessica can like make the water of life non-toxic for people to consume. Uh, she can choose the gender of her baby. You know, like, like Paul was supposed to be a girl originally, mm-hmm. but because Duke Lido wanted a son, she changed it to him being a boy. Uh, that sort of thing. So the idea is that they have such great control over their bodies that they can basically do, like super fast, reflexive, fast moving, accurate mm-hmm. martial arts that you know to a normal person, you know, like you know, you would just totally demolish them. So that's the okay. weirding way. And and Jessica taught that to Paul, but uh, but yeah, that that wasn't really a part of it in in the story. So that's something they made up. Uh, they reveal the spacing guild far too soon, and for some reason the the navigator looks like a penis with a vagina mouth because David <laughs> Lynch. You know, like 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 first 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 thing you see in the movie pretty much is a man on the throne being talked to by a giant penis with a vagina mouth. You know,
0: like I mean, it looks kind of like a cockroach, but sure, penis with a vagina mouth also works.
1: Yeah, um, and that's not quite how the navigators are supposed to look. They're more like kind of like fishmen. We would say <laughs> like you know, big Admiral eyes, webbed fingers. Yeah, a bit more like Admiral Akbar, but a bit mm-hmm. less stocky. Okay, uh, so that was. Sort of one big change that uh, that they didn't include in that in in it um like the Har- the the characters of the Harkonens was changed a massive amount like in the book Bar- Bar- Baron Harkonen is like this lethally intelligent and sadistic man like you know the sort of person where if he if you get on his shit list, mm. he will put a plan into motion that could take decades to come to fruition but will completely destroy you. like they got the expression like plans within plans. Mm-hmm. like he's just this ruthless intellect. Whereas here he like screams and injects pus into his blisters and flies around screaming and showers at oil because David Lynch. (laughs) Can we just
0: talk about that for a second? So this guy guy in in this fat guy in a suit with the blisters all over his face and he's, you know, uh, leaking oil and all this other stuff, watching him float around the room, all I could think of is it's a little Wicked Witch of the West for me. I mean, like I, I don't understand how that shot David Lynch is not an incompetent director. He's one of he, No, definitely he's, not. He's a weirdo, but I would say he's on the artsy competent side of weirdo. And how did that shot survive editing? Like, yeah, how do you do a wide-angle shot on that? And he's just we <laughs> you know like he's just floating around like he's in a balloon.
1: Yeah, the 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 Lynchian weirdness I find is more distracting in in the context of this movie than helpful.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I, and and it kind of takes away from a lot of what's going on. Like like you can't take the Harkonnen seriously because they're just you know Saturday morning cartoon villains, basically. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if if you get into the book, like you know Baron Vladimir Harkonnen is a legitimate threat. This is a guy you do not want to go up against if you can avoid it. Right. Uh, and 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 his family too. Like Raban's an idiot, but but he's a brutal idiot. This is the mm-hmm. guy you send in when you just want someone who will just go in, smash stuff, scare people, tell so, you that, you know, the, you know, that the Harkonnen inst- means business. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, he's almost like you know, a New Hope era Darth Vader. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's the blunt instrument when you need the blunt instrument, whereas...
0: Which you don't get that impression in this movie. He, he kind of has a dumb expression on his face half the time. Like, yeah. I thought, I thought Sting was the guy running the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah whereas Fade, that's by that's comparison, that's is yeah much much smarter. And I, I forget mm-hmm. if this was in the Lynch movie. It's been a long time since I see it. But there is a, a, bit where he tries to assassinate the Baron, and and you know he fails, and the Baron is just you know Fade. You know what's going on, and he's just like, well, you, know, you let Raban run Arrakis, mm-hmm. and he's a moron without me. And he was like, yeah, because Raban's an idiot, and he's just <laughs> going to go there and oppress them, and then I will like you know, supplant Raban with you, and you can go co- as their like benefit. They're they're you know merciful benefiter, and you know they will love you and you can rule them that much more effectively. You know, you're thinking short-term, fade. You know, <laughs> you are my heir. I'm not gonna hand the Harkonnen over to Raban, he's a moron. But you know, you know, when the time is right, you shall get what's yours, sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: yeah, like I I don't yeah, I forget how much that's stated in the show, but to uh, or in the Lynch movie. But yeah, the Harkonnen. Get a bad rub there. Um, yeah, th- those are kind of like the two biggest flaws in the film overall. And there's some smaller stuff like the whole Paul making it rain at the end. He didn't have like superpowers over nature. <laughs> and, yeah, that, that, that's not what the Kwisatz Haderach is. It's like they, they mm-hmm. have the ability to like see into the future, basically. Like, you know, for all the Bene Gesserit's ability to, through their like eugenics, basically, and their mental training, there's just a place in their consciousness that they cannot go.
0: Obviously, and- this preceded the 90s X-Men, but I kept like, or 2000s X-Men. Yeah. Um, but like in this, in the suits. So I'm going to take a break from that reference and go to a different reference. So everyone's like mm-hmm. big complaint about, 20, about the 2016 Ghostbusters was other than the casting and everything about it was like the original Ghostbusters doesn't take that much time developing the technology. Like that's not what yeah. the movie was about. 2016 was absolutely a a lot of it revolved around the developing and testing and playing with the technology. You know, it it very much was about like, let's build cool weapons to fight ghosts, which misses the, which is then this, this I think is a a good criticism, misses the point of Ghostbusters entirely. Yeah. To draw another comparison, like J.R.R. Tolkien's books are laden with a lot of in-depth very, you know, in-depth minutiae about language and the world itself and the customs and the cultures. And I think people have said, like, he spends, like, pages describing a chair and all this other mm-hmm. stuff, um, which, uh, which in, when you would, when Peter Jackson adapted it to film, there's some of that, you know, you have to include some of it for world building. But other than that, it's like, let's, let's get to the meat of the matter here. Let's go, let's go hunt some orc so
1: um my ex.
0: (laughs) right so relating that back to dune and and thinking about the suits first of all like i said i was getting when they were wearing the black suits i kept getting x-men vibes and then he gets superpowers and i'm like all right yeah i i understand this precedes that but like it's a it's weird how our culture just migrates in that direction whether or not it wants to you know it just it just does it
1: very naturally yeah yeah well i think like when
0: oh you go ahead well, the, the point—the overall point that I was getting to was how much time in this movie was spent on explaining, like how the suits work and why yeah. they work, what they do, and what they get. Like, we get it. There's no water on Arrakis.
1: Like, yeah,
0: let's just move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we don't. I don't need a 20 minute explanation about how the suit works. And it's funny that David Lynch took that approach to this. Like, an adaptation is. Taking the source material and turning it into a you know a a stunning visual experience, you don't have to put every single word of the damn thing on the screen.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's not how that works. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in your chair example, like yeah, like it might take 20 pages, you could take 20 pages to describe a chair in perfect detail in a book, but in a movie, you just build the chair and there it is, done. Right. You know, like it's like one second of information through your eyes uh like like apparently like the bit at the end where paul makes it rain that made frank herbert shoot through the roof when he saw that (laughs) because it's like like, more experience where it's like well it's it's, it's, my story yeah well it's kind of like you know the worms water kills them that's how you make a the water of life is you drown a a, an infant worm in water Mm -hmm. and it secretes the water of life Into that. So if you make it rain on Arrakis, you basically kill all the worms, which stops spice production, Mm -hmm. which then stops your interstellar travel. Like he's basically just destroyed all of human civilization by doing that flex move. So I had, I mean, it looks dramatic and cool in the movie, but once you think about it, it's like, oh, wait a minute, they're screwed.
0: So I kept thinking about this, and I don't know if you have an answer to this, but um, my setup to it is there's an episode of Family Guy where Brian takes drugs. And like, like he takes like ADHD medicine and so he gets stimulated. He gets amped up. And so he creates this uh, sci fi world, you know, it's yeah. a language like like he's so like full of energy. He creates this entire world language, everything else. Of course, it's like all derivative of like everything like the guy who created um, Game of Thrones. But yeah,
1: George R. R. Martin.
0: Yeah. So stuff like Dune usually is a metaphor for something else. Certainly Lord of the Rings was Lord of the Rings was. Tolkien dealing with world war one. Um, yeah. And I, there's a part of me, like I said, because I don't know the answer to this question. I'm kind of conflicted. There's a part of me that truly believes Herbert Walker was trying to say something about something with Dune, that Dune is a metaphor for something. There's also a part of me that he's just Brian on, (laughs) on meth (laughs) in the basement, creating this bizarre world that only makes sense to him. Because when I tell you like and you, you say you love the book and so that's what that's kind of why I brought this up how you can reconcile how in-depth the information conveyed in the book is and what they try and how they try to do that in the film because it completely lost me at the, it came a point yeah. in this a tipping point in the movie where I was just watching it but it might as well of, it might as well have been a foreign film I did not understand what was happening at all
1: <laughs> yeah so th- so this brings me into the second. God. You know, part of my critique is so I've, I've done sort of book to movie adaptation mm-hmm. or thing. I mean, like it changes were made, but it's not like a completely different film. This isn't like Paul Verhoeven's Starship Troopers, where, hey, it's got the same title as the book. But other than that, it's pretty much its own thing. Yeah,
0: Starship Troopers in name only.
1: Yeah. I mean, it has its it, that doesn't make it a bad movie. It just makes it right. a bad adaptation. Right. You can you cool. can watch Starship Troopers and enjoy it as, you know, I have things so
0: that, to say about stormtroopers,
1: but that's for another podcast. Yeah, that's for another podcast. But anyway, so so on to like yeah. So if you're someone who is not familiar with the source material, yeah, the the, the world that Frank Herbert made is so dense mm-hmm. that cramming that all into even a three hour movie, it's it's too much. It it right. just has to spend all its time explaining it and and and, and yeah, and and he just kind of chose to go with this whole just have everyone whisper. Mm. all the exposition oh my god
0: yeah finish what you were saying but i have things to say about that by the way this yeah. thing is over this thing is two hours and 20 minutes
1: yeah and apparently there's like a five-hour director's cut somewhere too but <sighs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm 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 not gonna go with that uh, and uh, yeah. that
0: was a deep sigh from the guy that watched all 12 plus hours of the extended lord of the rings editions like yeah. i can only do this so
1: much well, it's a testament to how great Lord of the Rings is that you watch Lord of the Rings and you want more Lord of the right. Rings. Like, like if Peter Jackson said, like, I'm gonna go and I'm just gonna put everything in a super 15-hour edition of Lord of the Rings, you know, Tom Bombadil and everything, <laughs> you know, it's like I'd be I, up for that.
0: Uh, yeah, I would be having the experience that like most humans had with Avatar. I don't want to leave this world. Like, you're just dragging yeah. your friend out of there. No, I, I don't want to go. Like, we have to yeah. work tomorrow. This is not a real place.
1: Yeah, but but yeah, that that's a bit of a different thing. And and like, sure, with Dune done right, you could get something like that. Where yeah, I, I would like to see the story told in full with all the detail. But again, if this is you know movies. It you know, were this is like before Lord of the Rings. So the whole multi film epic Harry Potter thing that that was you know these are those days before that in Hollywood where sure. you know they they just you just made one movie and uh, if that did great, you were happy, right? Right you know kyle McLaughlin was not signed onto a three movie deal to play paul atreides i'm pretty sure right yeah but to his credit i thought he did a good job
0: they did not already have dune licensing products in production before
1: the movie was even finished oh geez could you imagine the the david lynch's (laughs) dune toys you know you know know, they're like like buy buy five action figures and we'll mail you a we'll mail you a free hairless cat that you can milk (laughs)
0: Just thinking about the—I can't remember the villain's name—the fat villain. You just—you like pull a cord and it just flies around the room.
1: Yes. Yeah. Has a little like propeller on on its top, and you like you just you pull the pull the string and it flies off.
0: Kids are riding their worms down the street. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Power Wheels tie in. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah, we digress. Yeah. Let let me do it. Let me do it. Okay. So Loki. Thanks. You know I'm here, right? No, now I have a button I can press. <laughs> Great. Okay, yeah, this is podcast with twice as much David. <laughs> We're <laughs> going to have the lowest viewing numbers of anything on the networks. But just when you think you've had enough David, more David. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. yeah, the, the, the amount of exposition they cram into this film through just voiceovers, it, it, it's very clunky and very distracting. And even just like character thoughts that are blatantly obvious. They tried to take the life of my son. It's like yes, you're, he's your son. You're his dad. Like we we understand that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 kills the the momentum, and it's just kind of awkward, especially because nothing else does that. Like everyone, I, I understand why Denis Villeneuve is doing the splitting it into two.
0: Everyone makes the did I leave the iron
1: on face? Yeah, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm thinking.
0: Yeah. So like the direction they get from David Lynch is you need to you know. Be pensive in this. You need. To, I need to. We need to read this emotion off of you. Okay, but is there any dialogue? No. All the dialogue will be eighty yard later. So everyone's kind of just doing poop face. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and you're right. It, it 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 breaks up the it breaks up the um the structure of the movie. It breaks up the the pace of the I don't remember the word pace. It, it breaks up the pace of the movie a lot to where it's like there's a lot of I can't believe a lot of this survived editing because there's a lot of just the camera focusing on someone's face. Yeah. You know, and then and an ADR dialogue was supposed to be their thought.
1: Yeah. And and then, then, yeah, you just, you add in all the kind of the weird lynching stuff, like mm-hmm. two for having to like milk the cat to get the antidote to the poison <laughs> the barons given him. Like, I'm pretty sure in the book, like, I, like he, he was captured by the Harkonnen and, and you know, pressed into their service. But I think it was just like, look, you just have to show up every day, and someone will give you the antidote, like in mm-hmm. you know, in, in in liquid drinking form. You don't have to milk a hairless cat in a box, because can
0: you imagine? Can you imagine they're just watching dailies, and I was like, so David, I understand why you think the hairless cat milking needs to be there, but does it? And David is like, yeah, no, no, no. We there, there's no dune without a milking hairless cat. Jesus fucking Christ! Okay, yeah, you, you do I know this is going to an American audience in '84, right?
1: Like, hey, you guys came to me. <laughs> you're like, have you not seen Twin Peaks? <laughs> you know, or Eraserhead, or I'm, I'm not, I'm not all that up on David Lynch's filmography, but I want to say I, the last
0: thing I saw by David Lynch was Dark Highway, which is an experience. Let me tell you.
1: Yeah, so so yeah, from that perspective, it's there's just yeah those kind of like weird. Production decisions that Mm -hmm. just kind of like you like you what what, what's with the cat or or what's with all the gimp suits, (laughs) right? Yeah, like uh, yeah, this does not look like Star Wars, despite it being made post Star Wars.
0: Well, I I wonder how much of that played into the the decision. You know, Star Wars was (laughs) Star Wars has wreaked such havoc on the film industry, good, bad, or indifferent. And how much of like you know like Star Trek the motion picture dune so much got made because of star wars that would not have gotten made
1: otherwise yeah well when you think of like the technological jump in effects at that time Mm -hmm. you know you look at pre-star wars and post-star wars yeah but okay but i'm not
0: even talking about that like you you know they could have gone plan nine from out of space with with it it doesn't matter that doesn't matter i there was anxiety about making something as otherworldly as a dune just because like, how does the average person connect to this? I mean, books are not movies, movies are not books and these things are made for mass audiences. So you're going to dump all, you know, $40 million into this, into a movie. It better be accessible to every Tom, Dick and Harry that, you know, that might go to the movies. And I don't know about you and I, and I, and I don't want to take away your love of, of the book, but can you honestly say that at first blush the book is relatable to most people
1: um well i mean like as far as like day-to-day life no of course not it's about like a prince in space (laughs) right you know in like the year 3000 but you know like like the people are still humans in this story It's, it's a different society but you know in the end you know like a lot of the themes are relatable to you know the the t- people at the time, like you know, well, you know, my father's been murdered. I have to avenge my family. Sure, the, you know, the, 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 the court drama, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah. if anything, like the, like like with with Dune, I think to get the themes, you have to kind of like go in, go beyond the first book. You have to mm-hmm. sort of, you know, see where things go down the line. Because in the end, it kind of it actually becomes more of I think it's Herbert's intention was like to be sort of like a cautionary tale about charismatic leaders. Yeah, because I like the this week. Um Yeah. So,
0: well, let me rephrase it this way, because I might not be making myself clear. In the 40 years that have passed-ish, um, since Star Wars and Dune, you know, I don't know, I'm averaging here, we have lived, you and I have lived in a time where science fiction and science fantasy are A, interchangeable, and B, have been become part of mass media culture. Now, if you want to pick, you know, obviously, because they're doing it, you know, this Friday... Uh, on HBO yes. Max and the theaters, they're doing Dune. Like we get, we we get so much science fiction, science fantasy now. It's become commonplace to the point where some people are complaining. There's nothing else in the theaters besides this nonsense. Um, well, but I before, would before before Star Wars, we didn't live in that world. And I think that, and I have actually read that there were a lot of studio producers and executives that were like. I you can't do science fiction for a mass media. That was the big problem with Star Wars. Like George Lucas yeah. took that around and nobody wanted to make it because like, who the fuck's going to see this thing? Science. The science fiction world now is bright, is broad and expansive. And, you know, it has all of its niches and fandoms and conventions and whatnot. was not like that in the 70s. You know, mm-hmm. the science, the science fiction people were a very small sub, sub, sub niche group of people that were kind of outside of mainstream society. And so imagine that elevator pitch. Hi, I'm David Lynch. You know, yeah. I'm taking this to whatever studio this was. I uh, think it was Dino De Laurentiis did it. Okay. And it was like, I'd like to pitch a movie that you know that, that appeals to a very small fraction of people out, out there. You know, science fiction nerd. What, the people who read Heinlein? Yes. And Isaac Asimov? Yes. Fuck off. <laughs> this thing's not going to make money. Then Star Wars happens. And then they're tripping over their dick to get stuff like this made. And so here we are tripping over
1: our dicks, Dune. Yeah. Like I, I don't think this was one of Lynch's passion projects. I think this was more of a work for hire sure. sort of sort of uh, thing. Um you know, I, you, you know, you get some 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 directors where, yeah, like this is what I want to do, like with Yodorovsky's Dune, he really wanted to to make make a his his take on on Dune. He just had everything he needed except for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would have been an interesting film if they had ever made that. Oh boy, you yeah, like 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 Salvador Dali signed on to play the the Padishar Emperor, and and he and he had it like written into his contract that he would only do it if his if the throne he sat on could double as a toilet. Nice. That, I am not making yes. that up.
0: I now I want to see this movie. Can we go back in time and give him the money?
1: Yeah. Sa- sadly, all we have is a documentary called Yodorovsky's Dune, which sort of goes into the the background the concept art and like all the prep work he's done but like they actually had HR Giger to like do all the art for the Harkonnen like could you imagine what that would have been like that you know yeah I mean the, 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 it was equal parts crazy as brilliance from from mm. what I've
0: gathered but it's it's, it's so funny and I, I don't want to keep like sort of lamenting the state of modern film but you think about right. how many creative people in film from the 70s and the early 80s there were you know you just talked about you just name drop like hr yeager and you have david lynch here and just you know like at that time like they're not considered that anymore but like spielberg and lucas and all of these people were just such fucking weirdos
1: you know? yeah <laughs> I mean, you, you, must, you, you never have down. to find out yeah, you need to just have that right mix of mm-hmm. you know, eccentricity to talent that they right. actually pull things off. And sometimes you even need someone else added in to just sort of keep them on a leash sure. before they just run shot over I everything. Want
0: this whole area to look like vaginas. I see what you're saying, but what if we also made it
1: not offensive? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, then you have the alien set. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you sort of have the. The, the opposite part where it's just like all movie designed by committee. it's just nothing right. but producers notes and you know made by a director who's just like, I'll do whatever you say for a paycheck and yeah, yeah. That's you, how just you end, end up with, the, with that's how you end up with
0: the inhumans television show.
1: Yeah, stuff like that where and and yeah it, it goes up and down. like you know the MCU, mm-hmm. I think they've found a decent balance between creative freedom and oversight. I, I know some people would disagree with that, but it, it depends project to project. But I mean, you know, they, they felt they got something that works for them. But yeah. to, to get back to your, your point about the rise of sci-fi and movies, you know, I mean, it it kind of goes in waves. Like, yes, after Star Wars, it was, mm-hmm. yeah, like, we'll greenlight everything that's remotely like Star Wars because we want to cash in on Star Wars. And you sort of see that, like, like look like with Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. right? Harry sure Potter was right. a big thing. And now, you know, it's Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Who knew about Percy Jackson and the Olympians before <laughs> they made the movie? You know, it's yeah. just the yeah, same good. with, you know, Hunger Games.
0: What else you got culture that, you know, that, that... Yeah,
1: yo. You know, tw- Twilight, you know, okay, teen paranormal romance. What if other people written, okay, just make it cash cash <laughs> it in before the fad goes away. Hunger right. Games comes out. Okay, YA dystopia fantasy novels. I, you know, I, I Maze hear- Runner, Scorch Trials, I Divergent.
0: Mar- I hear those Marvel comic movies do well. What other comics are out there? Well, have you heard of The Watchmen? Yeah, I know it's not the one Yeah, of my well, names,
1: yeah but- well yeah, Watchmen was first, but <laughs> Yeah, have you heard of the guy
0: that made The Watchmen? <laughs> right. Have you heard of the series called Preacher? Anyway, uh,
1: <laughs> not all yeah, comics so, are the same. as my point. Yeah. So that, <laughs> I, like, and then and like towards like the late '90s, early 2000s, there was like mm-hmm. a, dr- a drought of science fiction. I would say, like, what science fiction was made, it wasn't space operas or Star mm-hmm. Trek or anything like that. It was like more it's smaller, it's high concept. Keeps bombing.
0: Stuff. They spend forty dollars. Not. I'm not doing a whole money segment here. This is on trial. But like they spent 40 to 42 million on this you know in 1984, and this thing barely made its budget, you know, times one, let alone times two.
1: Yeah. yeah. And do you, but you like,
0: also... the history of 80 sci-fi failures is long and and, and interesting, let me tell yeah. you. Yeah,
1: well, it, it, it takes a while for, for the the momentum to shift in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like you imagine, like when when these things were being made, they was mm-hmm. they were still making lots of money, but by the time they come out then it's sort of passed or the movies just aren't that good. Uh, But, but, and and, and, you know, it just takes one person to like break the mold, like, uh, you know, cutthroat Island bombed. And Jeffrey Mm -hmm. Katzenberg was like, you know, pirates never make money. Let's not do a pirates movie, but then, you know, pirates Pirates of the Caribbean Caribbean comes out, you know, despite his best efforts and, you know, it just (laughs) blows up the box office. It makes tons of money. And, you know, who knows when they'll stop making those films despite Johnny Depp's Mm -hmm. best efforts yeah me, um, me, um and and uh, and just sort of my last yeah. point here Okay. Right. uh and what we have to factor in nowadays is the streaming wars have made niche properties so much more appealing like you know that's why we're now getting a lot of these more obscure works being adapted right. is like they're just so desperate to like you know put as much content out there and so like sure this might not be the most popular thing in the general public but you know the book sold enough copies to make it worth an right. investment and you know we can Yeah, Yeah, it's a
0: long tail of entertainment now where you're not siloing things into a few projects, but you're making a zillion projects, you know, that across the board. And so you can have things that are very niche to something that is very accessible. Let me take a minute here to pay some bills and then we'll kind of get back to your prosecution if you still have something to say. Uh, Um, Just wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. so uh, David Lynch, if he had it at the time, should have used Grammarly to help him with this script. Grammarly's AI powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake free on Facebook, Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. You know, it's funny, Dave. I think I said that in the chat. Um, d- I think it was maybe Spectre, something that they, that Robert and I listened, um, re-released, re- reviewed a few years ago and that just got re-released within the past week or so because it's fresh in my memory. And I was like, and I said something and I was like, yeah, you couldn't make Dune now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, on the bright side, you got a two for one on bringing that one back.
0: <laughs> yeah. But Topical. I the, but I think the point that I was, well, this was again... So much has changed in just a three-year period. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, anything else about this movie that you f- find fault with?
1: Uh, yeah, just overall, I'd say it, it it fails in that it has, you know, it, it changes some details of the original mm-hmm. book that sort of make it a bit less. Though I'll get into a bit on why in a minute here. And yeah, like it's it's overstuffed. It's bogged down by exposition over-explaining character motivations that could have been better expressed through acting mm-hmm. and the situations. Yeah. And and yeah, just sort of general Lynchian weirdness with all respect to David Lynch.
0: He felt very know. much like slave to the source material, which is never a good start in an adaptation. You know, we, we often comment so much of our conversations both privately and I think just as a general national conversation that we have about the arts is how frustrated people get That an adaptation is not enough like the source material. It's really aggravating for people, you Mm -hmm. know, but that's not how adaptation works. You know, if you, we talked about just as an example, maybe an example that makes sense to a lot of people like, you can't do the actual demon in a bottle Iron Man story for a mass audience. You're going to lose the kids that way if you're doing a whole movie about a drunk, you know. Yeah. You can't do Iron Man Leaves Las Vegas. Um, Yeah. Well, but what you can do is give him a terminal illness and have him struggle with his own mortality after just conquering death. You know, he comes away from the first movie and he's like, I figured out how to not die. And the thing that's not killing him is killing him. So it's like, I shit, I can't win for losing. And then he starts to sort of unravel mentally. And it isn't until he figures out that the puzzle box that his father left for him, that he's able to process through these things. And so that's their best interpretation of demon in a bottle for a mass audience. And as I tell people, like, um, years ago, this is another reference to an old podcast. We reviewed Days of Future Past. And they were talking, you know, and the Sentinels appear in the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie. And somebody, a good friend of the podcast, was like screaming and yelling about how those are Nimrods, not Sentinels. There's a difference. And it's like, who fucking cares? Nobody who saw that movie except you you know they yeah. they 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 felt they felt the need to use them in that way for a specific purpose that's the point of the story not you know that it has to draw directly from the days of future past comic that was all two issues long so and that kind of goes into my sort of defense of of dune um oddly enough i think in fairness to David Lynch, and this is more like a defense of his mindset, I think, than it is the practice of making the movie, I feel like he really wanted to honor the source material. You know, I think that somewhat to the movie's uh, discredit, I guess, he wanted to make sure Herbert, Herbert Walker's... Um, Frank Herbert. Sorry, Frank Herbert. Sorry, oof. Frank Herbert, <laughs> I'm tired. It's been a long weekend. Um, Frank fine. Herbert's uh, words made it to the screen. That you know, it was something the author feels was representative of what he was trying to get at. Uh, doesn't quite, doesn't quite work um, as successfully as it should. But I give the man credit for trying. I'm also going to, despite the fact that it lost my pea brain, you know, and I was struggling with it. I do. I can appreciate the fact that they created. It does absolutely feel otherworldly. There is some science fiction that looks like it was absolutely shot on a Hollywood set.
1: Like yeah, you yeah, don't yeah.
0: feel like you're taken away at all. Um, you know, and it's just like you know, like almost like kids playing in a bedroom. Like, all right, like I, fine. You know, you shot this thing for ten bucks. Got it. This doesn't feel. This feels like it earned every single one of the dollars it was that was spent on it um
1: yeah like visually it's very unique like like i don't think there's many other films that look like this movie Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and again to to david lynch's credit i think he he definitely you know science fiction especially in the 70s and 80s you know you are you are absolutely trying to just even not even then just really good science fiction so like Avatar, and I'm not making a comment on how good Avatar is, but Avatar created a place that people wanted to live in. People wanted to live in Pandora, like I I think there were like some incidences of suicide because people like didn't want to leave Pandora and they just wanted to be there, um, and they could not handle the real world. Obviously, that speaks to other issues in our society, but
1: I digress. Um, Yeah, you you guys do realize that the the atmosphere is poisonous, right? And like ninety (laughs) percent of the flora and fauna want to kill you like
0: Eh, but it's pretty it it sure is (laughs) anyway like the the success of of the achievement of of avatar was how real how otherworldly and real and tangible pandora felt and that is i think the biggest strength of dune is that this feels like a place that feels like a very lived in very otherworldly universe that one could get lost in you said in your prosecution that the biggest problem with it is how dense it all is. And it's a little hard to follow because of that, like not making any jokes. It is hard to keep track of who's on what side. And it it, it feels almost Lucas Lucas in that sense, where like Lucas wrote, if you've ever seen the original treatment, and we talked about this a little bit on source material because it was adapted into a comic. Um, Lucas's original treatment for Star Wars is like a billion pages long, you know, and it starts with some stuff that was covered in the prequels and, you know, and he kind, of, you know, he looked at this giant ass. Again, I, that's why I, I always think about Brian and Family Guy. He looked at this giant ass screenplay that he wrote was a zillion pages long. It was like, okay, well, this isn't gonna work. Let <laughs> we'll not yeah. just make this part. So, I, I kid about Lucas starting with Episode Four, but he really did kind of just start in the middle of the story that he was telling. Yeah, the original story, and so that. Is kind of how you feel with Dune. You're just dropped in the middle of this thing, and David Lynch cares enough about the audience to be like, let me explain while the movie is while the present movie is taking place. Let me try to catch you up. It's a it's a different style than how Lord of the Rings kind of handled things, which was let's start at the very beginning. First, there was lava. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Um, Lord of the Rings
1: has the advantage of by doing things from the Hobbit's point of view, they mm -hmm. are being introduced to the world as we are
0: yeah yeah and that's 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 a really good point there's no really good point of view character in this paul kind of gets what's happening and so instead of sort of explaining it to the audience because they have to explain it to paul paul's already involved in doing things and so instead as you said you just get kind of the mind reader's approach to to the um to the exposition which does not yeah. work at all
1: yeah like, like they usually they they have start off with paul in a lesson with. Mm-hmm like two for, I think like teaching him and then sort of reviewing, you know, the different houses, Atreides, Harkonnen, and, uh, like the Corino, which is the emperor's house to sort of give you that sort of, you know, geopolitics 101 here, but you know, that, that is, you're not going to be able to cover everything you need to know, like the Bene Gesserit and the spacing guild, the Fremen as well. Like there, there's a lot of factions at play and with a lot of motivations. Some some are simple, some are hard. Like, the Harkonnen are easy to explain. They're mm-hmm. evil bastards. But whereas, like, the Bene Gesserit, you know, who they are, what they can do, what their plans are,
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: that's a lot more depth you have to go into.
0: Well, I think I'm going to say about this, and credit to the actors mm-hmm. involved. I think everybody yeah. has their best foot forward in this. I think the performances are very strong. I don't know how David Lynch is with his actors. You know, every, what we know David Lynch for is his wacky, you know, aesthetic and plots yeah. and whatnot.
1: Yeah, I know oh. Kyle McLaughlin was in Twin Peaks, so like I'm mm. I'm pretty sure he has a good working relationship with David Lynch.
0: Well, there were there were some directors who they don't direct their actors. I think what were we just we were talking about? Oh, we were talking about John Carpenter in Halloween when I said it doesn't feel like he did second takes with anybody. It's like whatever they give me is fine. Um here, I do feel like whether or not he got second or third takes from anybody or he was really like giving actors motivation in real direction or was it just a lot of blocking run from the monster this way run to the monster that way
1: yeah, they tried to take the life of your son
0: <laughs> um i do feel like it's a very strong cast and you know ewan mcgregor famously said about the about acting in the phantom menace like i didn't know what the hell i think even alec mcginnis has said the same thing oddly enough ironically they both both Obi-Wan Kenobis in their different situations were like I don't know what's happening in this movie. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think Alec, Alec Guinness was more just he's not used to that kind of, type mm-hmm.
0: of science fiction whereas Ewan McGregor is like the green screen. Right. So in, in so in the case of Alec McGinnis, you know, he's just reading his lines like this is gobbledygook but I'll say whatever you're, you're paying me so I'll yeah. say whatever yeah, you I'll, want I'll there. Do my best, make it yeah. make it sound. And then there's Ewan legitimate. McGregor who's like run this way against the green screen, run that way against the green screen. And like I don't know I don't know what this is gonna look like. I don't know what I'm doing. It was hard to act that way. Yeah, uh, pretend so this so.
1: tennis ball on a stick is trying to kill you.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't get that sense, is the point. I don't feel like anybody in this didn't know where they were in the scene, which happens sometimes. Like, and, and I've heard stories about like the Hobbit trilogy and some of the other ones where <laughs> I was watching a documentary about the Hobbit trilogy and some somebody and they were doing like one of the battles of the five armies. It was a second unit direction under I think Andy Circus. And somebody was talking about, like, yeah, he just said fight. No one knew why. No one knew what was happening. I knew I was an orc and that's a dwarf and we're fighting each other. And that's about as much direction as we got. And so it was just like, okay, smash sticks together. Okie dokie. Um, there's none of that in Dune. I think that's my, my strongest like defense of this movie, is everyone. And every scene, to me, it feels like they know what they're doing. They know what their motivations are. They know what the words on the paper mean that they're saying. And everyone, I think, gives a really strong performance. And I got a kick all these years later because, you know, this is 1984. What year does TNG debut? Was it 89?
1: Uh, Something like that. Yeah, it was like early 90s, I think. And so maybe, you know,
0: Patrick Stewart from TNG. But most people, I think, know him as Professor X. Um, not
1: Nowadays, probably, but yeah, yeah during
0: during my during our generation, it would have been Captain Picard. Sure, and he's so young. It, it, that five year difference does make a tremendous amount. He's so young in this. Like, I got a kick out of seeing uh, Jean, um, Patrick Stewart in this. You know, just like in the not in in, in this not lead role in this supporting yeah. role. That was fun. Um, so that's it. I, I I think my only thing about Dune is I think if you're any kind of a science fiction person this is sort of a rite of passage i think you have to sit through dune at least once
1: yeah well well dune the book is considered one of the great classics of science fiction like Mm -hmm. probably foundation and dune those are sort of like the big two of early science fiction novels
0: you brought it up and i don't know if you have apple apple plus in canada i do um are you gonna watch foundation
1: uh, I have been keeping up. I haven't watched the most recent episode, but. Okay, uh, so you are watching it then. Uh, yes, yes. If, if, if you want to talk Foundation sometime, I'm happy to hop on that I'm, with you. Yeah. It, I, it, I, is, I, it is kind of funny. Like, like this month, we get like two of the greatest classics in <laughs> sci fi literature adapted into films and TV and shows. We got them because of streaming
0: in part. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, on, I'm up for Foundation. It's on my list of things to watch. I just have to figure out when in <laughs> this massive schedule that is. <laughs> where I, I was cutting back and it's yeah. completely full up again. To like yeah, that. I mean, I've
1: seen like the first four episodes now and I'd say the jury's still out for me, but uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. You know, it, All right. It's, it's yeah, not um, too I'll, far gone.
0: I'll do a little research. I'll look at my calendar and we'll figure out yeah. a date for a foundation. And
1: like like for me, like I've read the first foundation book. Again, I think mm-hmm. I was in junior high at the time. So I, I am very curious to see how someone who is not familiar with the original work reacts to it. Yeah, uh, That could be a very interesting discussion.
0: It, uh, it generally is, especially because, like, a lot of the classics I have not read. I read a little bit of Heinlein and a little bit of Asimov growing up, but not mm-hmm. a lot, not as much as I should. Um, because books are for burning, so <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, I'm into all of these adaptations that have come out of it, so yeah, we'll do that. Hey, um, yeah, so Loki, so let <laughs> only I get to do that. Um, <laughs> hey. <laughs> It's my bit, man, <laughs> and I stole it. Um, let me ask you a question. So, the music was done by Toto in this. What did you think of the music?
1: Uh, I, is this is a setup I, for I, a plug. So I, 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 I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually quite like the the music, like the main theme of of Dune. I thought was was quite well done. And yeah, yeah, like it would be great if there was like a place where I could listen to it easily.
0: Well, um, you can not only listen to the soundtrack from Dune by Toto. But any Toto album that's out there is available on Amazon Music, and it just so happens that we're giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Unlimited uh, service. If you click the link in the po- in the description of this podcast, it's getamazonmusiccom slash w 2 Network. That's getamazonmusiccom slash w 2 m Network to get your free trial. You fill out the information from the link. Um, it will take you to where you need to go. You fill it all out. you agree read the 30 days and that 30 days is up after you've streamed all the toto there is to stream and whatever else you want to listen to. um, You can cancel if you want or you can keep it in a nominal monthly fee. It's competitive with Spotify and Apple Music in a lot of ways. It's better uh, from what people tell me. You can enable your household devices that I won't say the name of because one of mine will go off if I do to play all the music that you want to play using the Amazon Unlimited Music Service. So I use it uh, on our most recent Metal Hammer of Doom where we reviewed the new Monster Magnet covers album. Cooper, can you believe this, David? Robert Cooper, the metal coop, didn't, had never heard any Monster Magnet before. And so we used- No. Amazon. He didn't, I know. So we used Amazon Music to play the best of Monster Magnet before we got into a better dystopia. So that was fun. Um, anything else before we wrap?
1: Uh, yeah. So cards on the table. I was really on the fence on prosecuting or defending this one because, like, mm-hmm. they're they're actually I, I do think that David Lynch's Dune is a bit unfairly maligned. Like, you sort of have to look at it like the time it was made. Like, they didn't have the effects technology sure. to really do Dune justice. Yeah. Like,
0: really, is that what people pick on? Because I would have thought uh, the, the dense storytelling and the convoluted. Well, I'm I'm kind
1: of going down a list here, but. Okay. But yeah, I, I, but you know, I, like you look at the the ornithopter scene in the David Lynch is doing, it's just like this flying brick that just floats there. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like the the best thing they could do to do an ornithopter would be to use stop motion animation, and it it wouldn't have looked good. So I'm just like, you know, it's not actually important that the wings flap to the story. It's mm. just a little detail. So you know, I I can cut them some slack for that. It's more like, for example, to show the weirding way how how that would look. Mm-hmm. In practice, like they might have had to just do like a constant exposure trick to do like a speed blur, and that never looks good. Like no one has ever made that effect look good. So, like I, I, I can kind of understand how. Well, it, we'll just change it to being sound weapons instead, and that can tie into why the Emperor is afraid of, mm-hmm. of the Atreides.
0: I, I'm just curious. Have you done much reading on other than what you've already mentioned, Frank Herberts, Frank Herberts, Frank Herberts, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, um, his reaction to Dune.
1: Not so much. I the only thing I really heard is he freaked out about was the the rain at the end because that just okay. sort of goes against the whole, you know, like he he worked very hard on the uh, the the sort of natural laws of Arrakis, mm-hmm. like the ecosystem. That was the word I was looking for, the okay. ecosystem. So so he he had that all mapped out in advance before he even wrote the book. So so yeah, like the whole making it rain on Arrakis with that that just that would have killed killed the worms and just destroyed the whole the whole mm-hmm. point of the. Of the show but uh but yeah so so yeah i, I can cut it some slack and it, it, it is a very dense work to adapt so i understand they would have to make some changes again i think that some odd decisions were made but yeah like visually it's a very unique film like there's nothing quite out, yeah. out, out there else like it so yeah like you can you can just kind of appreciate it as this kind of interesting oddity in film history yeah i think like that... I, I don't it, it's not a film i i hate and i actually would wow. say that the like like the worms, I thought looked really good for the time. Uh, I was gonna say like, the worms
0: are like the best part. Visually speaking, the worms are like I think the best part.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I even thought like even the still suits, whilst yeah, kind of mm-hmm. kind of gimpy looking. I, I quite like the look of them. Yeah, it's it's not they're supposed to be bladders instead of black leather, but yeah, I could... You know, there were some things that I think they did get pretty close and pretty right in it, and. I'm happy. I was happy for those elements to be carried through, but yeah. Again, it it just what, what what tipped me over to the prosecution side is like I am so stoked to see Denis Villeneuve's doing. From everything I've heard, this is like they finally got it right because like we we've never gotten a worthy adaptation of the source material, and that so so from that perspective, I kind of have to go on the the, the negative side. Of mm-hmm. this film. Like we we did get the sci-fi channel. They did a min- mini series, I think, in the late nineties, mm-hmm. which was a lot closer to the book. I think they mm-hmm. had a bit more time to work with, but it did suffer from being low budget, even you know right. I mean it was it was high budget for the sci-fi channel at the time.
0: <laughs> Why are we shooting this all on Battlestar Galactica stages? Shut up.
1: <laughs> yeah, this this was this is quite a few years before Battlestar Galactica, but <laughs> Yeah, but, and that did very Let successful for them. Let me have but, that joke. Okay, fine. Yeah. And then they even went on and they did like the next two books mm-hmm. as well. Okay. Like Dune Messiah and Children of Dune were rolled together into a second movie, Children of Dune, featuring a very early James McAvoy.
0: So um I think this isn't the end. There um short of this being a, a and it's already it's already successful overseas. And I think yeah. they said that even if it's not as successful in the United States as it could be had we not done the stupid day and date thing. They're saying that if it gets a massive watch, if it gets a massive watch on HBO Max um, and or it does well financially, they'll greenlit. And I think they've already gone ahead and said, we're probably going to green, we're, we're more yes than no on greenlighting, greenlighting a sequel to this since that was the intention. But in addition to which, I believe HBO Max is getting
1: a streaming show, The Sisterhood. Yep for that? Yeah, yeah, based on the Bene Gesserit. Okay. Uh, I'm not against it. It depends mm-hmm. a lot on, like, if it's good or not. Like, how how, how is the writing? What's their approach? Well, oh, I mean, you're gonna watch it. Is what I, is what I was asking. Uh, I, I would give it a look. I mean, I think it depends on if I can access it. I don't have HBO Max, but I, I I would be open to taking a look. I mean, well, once I start to see like a trailer or something, I'll probably didn't be able to say see, a bit
0: more. Didn't you see the Suicide Squad? Weren't you? I, I did movies? see the.
1: I did see The Suicide Squad, but I went to see that in theaters. Oh, okay. Got Because, yeah, because we're, we're doing not so bad for, for COVID in, in the lower mainland here. Okay. Uh, All right.
0: So I think we can agree on probation for this.
1: Yeah, again, I'd say, uh, is it a good movie? Uh, not so much. Is it an interesting movie? Yes. It, think... it is an interesting piece of cinematic history. Yeah, I was going to say, I
0: think where, where Dune has its place is that it's one of those, it's one of the most visually interesting movies in terms of execution it is a study in what not to do or what to do in adaptations and so i think it's an important film it's one of those where it isn't so much like a visually like enjoyable experience as it is an experience one should go through if you appreciate science fiction and or film
1: yeah, I, I wouldn't steer anyone away from it. I would just sort no. of say like, hey, it's kind of weird and clunky. And if you've read the book, there are bits of it that will frustrate you. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an interesting piece of cinema history and it's it's worth preserving and keeping.
0: Yes. All right, so that's uh, that wraps up our review of Dune. Earlier today, uh, we dropped our re-airing of the Peanuts um, review from 2015 and that's to coincide with the release of Ron's Gone Wrong also this weekend, uh, but exclusively in theaters. It was the the last movie, I think, produced by 20th Century Studios, Um, and I think the studio that's actually making it is moving from – they started out with Fox under 20th Century, and um, then Disney bought it, and so after after Ron's Gone Wrong, they're moving to a different uh, studio, I believe. So anyway, so that was my loose connection there to the peanuts. We also re-aired our Long Road to Ruin for the Evil Dead trilogy. That was myself, Gavin Napier, and Sean Comer. Um, Tuesday, we've got two two things coming at you. We've got speaking of Gavin Napier, we've got a re airing of our Long Road to Ruin for the Brendan Fraser Mummy trilogy. And then in the evening, we'll have myself, Benjamin J. Cologne. Robert Winfrey and Jason Teasley, Jason Teasley, Jason Teasley, Jason Teasley. Jason, you just got one more mention than Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. Um, For Halloween Kills, and finally, we're done with the Halloween movies for this year. Thank freaking God. I am
1: so happy that it's actually a movie coming out in October for once that I want to see.
0: (laughs) um wednesday sometime in the afternoon we'll have our mania of wrestlemania 8 and 9 and then in the evening myself jesse starcher and robert cooper will be reviewing ice nine kills a silver scream 2 welcome to horrorwood on thursday um myself and pat mullen will be looking at um leonard and duran one and two for a fifth chapter of the four kings of boxing um on friday We've got a couple of old Metal Hammer of Dooms that we're releasing from the old BTR years. There's a new Cradle of Filth album coming out and a new Dream Theater album coming out. So, to coincide with that, we're dropping our Robert Cooper, apparently on one of my hiatuses, reviewed with Sean Garmer and some other dude, uh, the Dream Theater self titled album. So, that's going to release, as well as Cradle of Filth, Hammer of the Witches. So, those re airs will be coming at you this Friday, along with Dune, as we mentioned before. And then, um, a week from today, we'll have our re-airings of our old Paranormal Activity reviews, and possibly, depending on if this guy comes through or not, we will be doing a, uh, alternative commentary live stream for Jamel Herring versus Shakur Stevenson for the, uh, I believe it's the Junior Lightweight, WBO Junior Lightweight title. Uh, this past week, we, speaking of Halloween, we did Halloween Resurrection, um, Midnight Mass, no time to die. We had a everyone loves a bad guy on Slashes, featuring Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, the aforementioned Monster Magnet, um, and then John Ronnie and I talked about Halloween from 1978, the one that started it all. All right, uh, that's all for me. Eventually, you're going to get to see David Wright's Star Trek retrospective, which is now <laughs> will be the last part of the trilogy that he did with uh, myself, Robert, I think Andrew was on one. Um, what else you got going on these days? Anything of note?
1: Uh, not so much other than yeah, the other Kelvin retrospective going up uh, mm-hmm. next month. But, and of course, I'll be on. Uh, I've got my tickets already booked for uh, IMAX Dune this weekend. So I'll definitely Man. be on for that. Oh, I, I am going all out. I've been I've been waiting for this film for a long time. I, yep. I, I be, hope it doesn't disappoint. That'll be, I've
0: heard nothing but a good things. You, Robert, myself, and then Jeff Sloboda from the MCU Bleeding Edge. We'll huh, be talking okay. Dune a week from this Tuesday. So with that said, um, court is now in recess for David Wright. I'm Mark Radledge. This has been On Trial. Be well, be safe, and behave.